This is the podcast for RUF at Wake Forest. RUF exists for the convinced and the unconvinced, the lost and the found, the burned and the bored, the cynical and the spiritual. Whoever you are and whatever your story, RUF exists for you. For more information, check out our Instagram at RUF Wake Forest. Now, here's today's teaching. I originally had planned to, uh, sorry, I just preached three times this semester. I would originally planned to open up a different psalm for uh, each of the sermons. Uh, and I was working on a sermon for on one of the psalms earlier today. And uh, I got towards the end of the day, and it just did not come together. Uh, so instead of trying to force something that wasn't there, I pulled a sermon out of the archives. Uh, this is a sermon that I originally gave, I guess, two years ago now. Um, yeah, it was back when we were still doing larger plums too. So it's been a hot minute. Uh, but I hope that uh, it is a blessing to y'all uh, and that God ministers to all of us through the Lord. So uh, our passage tonight is Matthew 5, 38 through 48. Uh, I'll go ahead and read it and then pray and then dive in. Starting in verse 38, this is Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who is borrowed from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Let me pray for Father, thank you that we can be here together tonight. Thank you for bringing us all back to campus safely. Thank you for keeping our campus and our city safe all last week. Um, we ask as, you, as we dive into this passage together that you would give us your spirit um, help us to understand what you're saying in your word, uh, and may we all be ministered to by it. this in your name. Amen. So, uh, this is a couple years ago now. I was talking with John Bourgeois about this passage when I was getting ready to preach it. And as we were trying to figure out what approach I wanted to take, what I wanted to say about it, uh, he referred me to a kindergartner's wisdom. Uh, when Leo, his son, was in kindergarten, he was taught about being a bucket filler or a bucket dipper. Uh, the idea is that everyone has a bucket, and if you love and serve somebody else, you're being a bucket filler. But if you hurt somebody, if you're rude, or even if you're just needy, you're a bucket dipper. Dipping your cup into somebody else's bucket and taking from them. Uh, and I think the kindergartners are right. Because imagine a bucket full kind of day. Uh, in college, my bucket full day was when I got an A on one of my papers and the professor wrote a lot of nice comments about it in the writing. 
Uh, it was when my classes didn't feel like they were asking too much of me and when I got to spend time with my friends who love me. Uh, a bucket empty kind of day. This is a true story. This is from my senior year uh, of college. Some random Tuesday, it was 8.55 a.m. Uh, I had to go to class where the professor asked too much of us uh, and never thought that we did enough. I had to plow through some reading that I didn't care about, uh, which of course was too long. And not only did I have to bike to class, I had to bike to class in 40 degree weather. And as I was coming down a hill, I realized that there was a hole in my tire that hadn't been there the night before. Uh, and I got on my bike, started riding, and I end up at the bottom of the hill with a totally flat tire, knowing that I was gonna miss my class and that my teacher was gonna think I was a bum despite best efforts. And actually, I remember this class, the teacher did 100% think that I was a bum. Uh, we are either bucket fillers or bucket dippers, giving or taking, being given to, um, or being taken from, or serving, consuming, loving, or using, uh, imagining what our friends can be and delighting in that, uh, or just thinking about what they can do for me. And that brings us to this text on turning the other cheek and loving our enemies. And I want to ask you three questions. First, who are our enemies? Second, what do we let our enemies do? And third, how do we let our enemies do it? So first, who are our enemies? Uh, this text is divided into two different sections. And in the first one, Jesus talks about how we should relate to an evil person. That's in verse 39. And then he follows it up by talking about how we should relate to our enemies. That's in verse 44. Uh, this is different language, but Jesus is talking about functionally the same person. Just when he references our enemy, he personalizes it. And that poses a problem for us. Because if you think about it, who is our enemy? Like, this is a question that is easier for Christians to answer in countries that are hostile to Christianity. Like, if we had to keep the volume of our larger down because we were afraid that the government might come in and shut it down and arrest all of us, like, it would be a little bit easier for us to picture who our enemies are. But if we think about it for ourselves, who is, like, if I think about it for myself, who is my enemy? Like, I start to draw a blank. And as we're reading this text, uh, here's what I want to argue. During the semester, when most of us are drained from classes and have realized that we've already committed to too many things, our enemies are people who would take from us. They're your professors who give you another assignment when it feels like your schedule is already packed. Uh, they're your friends who really need to talk when it feels like you have nothing left to give emotionally. They're the clubs or campus ministries that you signed up for and are now sucking the last free night out of your week. And I'm not necessarily saying that your professors, your friends, or your campus ministries are actually against you, that they're your enemy in the sense that they're trying to plot your harm and take you down. But if we're going to ask the question and try to figure out who our enemy is, I think the answer is our enemy is anyone who would take from us. To put it another way, in the, in the kindergartner's wisdom, uh, our enemies are bucket dippers. When our bucket is running dry, our enemies are people who would dip into our buckets and try to take our precious resources. So that brings us to the second question. 
We know who our enemies are. Bucket dippers. What do we let our enemies do? Uh, the short answer from this text, we let the bucket dippers dip. Look at verse 38. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Well, where had Jesus' audience heard that before? They had heard it from the Old Testament. Jesus here is referencing a law that told God's people how the justice system in their communities should run. And commentators point out that ironically, this law was actually designed to restrain people from taking vengeance out on each other. Uh, one commentator puts it this way. The context makes it clear beyond question that this was an instruction to the judges of Israel. Its purpose was both to lay the foundation of justice, specifying the punishment which a wrongdoer deserved, and to limit the punishment to an exact equivalent and no more. It thus had the double effect of defining justice and restraining revenge. So basically, it limited, or it defined justice, because if you knocked uh, a tooth out of my mouth, a judge couldn't sentence you to death. Your punishment had to fit the crime. And it restrained revenge by taking justice out of our hands and putting it where it belongs, in the hands of the court. The law was meant to abolish personal revenge. Basically, eye for an eye, limited punishment, restrained revenge. But the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the day, screwed it up. Because over time, they began interpreting eye for eye not as something to define justice for the courts, but as the very thing that it was meant to restrict. Meaning, they started taking it as, if you knock out my tooth, I get to knock out yours. And this kind of personable, retributive justice comes really naturally to us. Uh, it works simply. Like growing up, uh, one of my friends and I, we would always do slap bets. Like, I don't know if y'all did these. Man, if I lost a bet, uh, my friend got to slap me as hard as he could. And every time he slapped me, which was more than once, there was this strong, automatic, like unexplainable de desire I had to slap him back as hard as I could. I wanted to take an eye for an eye. But normally, we're more civilized about this. Uh, there's a TV show called How I Met Your Mother. Uh, and in one of the episodes, they talk about how we all have a hit person. Uh, this is someone who's hurt us either last week or last year, and who were so internally angry with them that we could throw them in a pit. Not kill them, mind you, uh, but just throw them in a pit so we could have control over how we make them pay. So, because we naturally want to hit back, and because we naturally have hit people, Jesus has to make this correction. In verse 39, he says, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. If someone knocks out your tooth, don't knock him back. Instead, let him knock out the other one too. Or, if someone tries to take from your bucket, let them. And this might sound like you should just roll over and become everybody's doormat. It could sound like when Jesus says, do not resist evil. He's saying, just let evil happen. And I think it's fair that we have to keep in mind that Jesus' words here have been used as an excuse to be apathetic in the face of evil. Um, and it's fair for us to reckon with that, especially as it's affected 
both maybe people we know and our world more broadly. Um, but when we rightly understand what Jesus is saying here, just let evil happen couldn't be farther from the truth. Uh, as another commentator puts it, Jesus is saying that instead of leaning into our natural instinct of hitting back, Jesus is actually saying, stay right there and do something surprising. Uh, I had a good friend from college. I lived with him for four years, uh, and the way that he related to people uh, was insults. Like, you might know someone like this. You might be this kind of person. Uh, he said that insults were the way that he showed affection. But what that meant was that when I or someone else walked into the room, he would always say something like, Hey, Matt, I hate you. Hey, Matt, you're an idiot. He would hit. And for a while, I tried to hit back. Uh, but one day he came downstairs and said something uh, to me like, Hey, Matt, you're an idiot. And in that moment, I had tried to hit back for long enough to where I realized that I wasn't really good at it. So, instead of trying to hit back, I said, hey, Griffin, I love you. And it was a wonderful moment because it totally threw him off his game. Like, I haven't lived with him for three years now, and he still talks about this whenever I see him. Uh, instead of trying to hit back, in that moment, by God's grace, I had the wherewithal to stay right there and do something surprising. And so, for the rest of the time that we lived together, whenever he would come in and insult one of us, uh, I or one of my housemates would respond with, hey Griffin, I love you. Hey Griffin, I love you. When Jesus says, do not resist evil, he's not saying, just let evil happen. And it actually doesn't take that much strength of character to give in to a fight. Like, that's just our natural impulse. But it takes a holy kind of strength to stand right there and do something surprising. So instead, to put it in the way that we've been talking about, do not resist evil means when someone tries to be a bucket dipper, when someone tries to hit you, it's actually an opportunity for you to dump your bucket into theirs. And that brings us to verse 44. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Because not only are we to dump our bucket into our enemies when they try to take from us, we are also to actively look for where our enemies' buckets need filling and respond accordingly. Like, if do not resist evil means stay right there and do something surprising, love your enemies means go after somebody and do something surprising. And what could this look like? Uh, let me tell you the story about Daryl Davis. There's a documentary called Accidental Courtesy, and it follows Daryl Davis, who's an African-American musician who came up alongside musicians like Jerry Lee Lewis or Chuck Berry in the middle of the 20th century. Um, and after he retired, he took up an odd hobby. He traveled around from places like Memphis to Alabama to Ferguson, Missouri, befriending members of the KKK. Like, he didn't try to argue them out of their membership, or he didn't punch them in the face with how they were wrong. He just realized that most members of the KKK had never met a black man. So, Daryl Davis went after them and did something surprising. He introduced himself. And as their conversations developed, as he began to develop real relationships with these people, as KKK members became friends with a black man, they started to change. 
Like a lot of them, though not all of them, gave up their membership and turned in their robes. He stood right there. He went after them and did something surprising. And I wonder what this could look like for us at Wake Forest. Who are your pit people? When you hear that term, does somebody come to mind? What would it look like for you to move towards them in love and dump your bucket into theirs? And as a ministry, I think we can be encouraged because Susan and I hear stories all the time of how y'all pour out your buckets for others. And that means that from what Jesus is saying, Wake Forest, RUF at Wake Forest, is participating in the kingdom of heaven. That's something to be encouraged by. But there is also a challenge for us here. Who are the people that we naturally close our buckets off from? Is it people who don't look like you or who you don't naturally click with? Uh, A helpful question to ask in prayer could be, God, are there places I feel like you're calling me to go or people you're calling me to meet? Are you a bucket filler or are you self-protective of your bucket and only give to people who you feel like deserve it? So that's the second question. The first question was, who are our enemies? The bucket dippers. The second question, what do we let our enemies do? We let the bucket dippers dip. And that brings us to the third question. How do we let the bucket dippers dip? Um, It feels weird to challenge you to dump out your bucket in the middle of a semester like this. uh, Because I started this sermon talking talking about how a lot of y'all Uh, are probably feeling like your buckets are running dry. Like for a lot of you, it's not that you don't want to give. Like you do. But you've given all that you have to your professors, your friends, your family, your group projects. And when it feels like the bucket is running empty, it can tend to feel like people just trying to keep dipping and dipping and dipping. So let me ask you, are you being asked to give from resources that you don't really have? Like, is your bucket really empty? Do the professors who are supposed to be educating and giving themselves to you feel like your enemies? Do your friends feel like enemies who are just threatening to take that last little bit from you? Do you feel yourself crumbling of under, or do you feel yourself crumbling under the pressure of all that you have to give? Is your bucket really empty? Like, there's another way to put this. Do you feel like your foreign spirit? Have you been mourning and crying out under the burden that's crushing you? Are you feeling weak when everyone around you is telling you to be strong? Are you hungering and thirsting for some relief? The answer Jesus gives isn't just to dig down deeper into your bucket and find water that's not there. Ironically, the comfort for us uh, is in the last command of this passage. In verse 48, Jesus says, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And some other popular translations say, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And at first, that just sounds like more pressure, and rightfully so. Uh, In the semester where I ended up at the bottom of the hill with a flat tire, my bucket was seriously empty. Like it was the first semester of my senior year, I was overworked, I was job searching, and I was taxed to the point where I was suffering from some pretty acute anxiety. And I would read Jesus' words here, and it felt like the undercurrent of my life was him just saying, you must be perfect. And my response 
though I didn't really have words for it at the time, was be perfect. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I've got to dig down deep and pour out every last little bit that I've got. Like, that just feels like it ratchets up the pressure. Um, but thankfully, in this verse, there's some relief. The word perfect is the Greek word heliolos. I used to be able to uh, generally understood. Uh, it, it's generally understood to mean perfection only in the sense that uh, our perfection is a thing that we remain. It captures the idea of finally being whole. It's our goal, our end. And for you philosophy majors, Jesus here is talking about our telos. It's our end. Everything that our life is working towards. So, what is our what is our life working? Uh, in closing, I'll ask that question a little different way. Uh, what's the best night that you've ever had? One of the nights that I knew my and Susan's relationship could, uh, could be something special was a couple months into us dating. She was in a sorority in college, and I got to be her date to one of her cocktails. And I was nervous because I had a blazer that didn't fit, and I knew that I was going to have to dance, and I don't know how to dance. But that night, even though my blazer didn't fit, and even though I didn't know how to dance, I got to meet a lot of her friends. We got to talk. We took a lot of really cute pictures together. And we danced, and we danced, and we danced. It was beautiful. And Tim Keller argues uh, that everything our life is moving towards is a dance. The Trinity, so the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, have been dancing for an eternity. They've been orbiting around one another in a dance of self-giving love, praising, enjoying, and delighting in each other, eternally filling one another's buckets. And we are created out of an overflow of their love. We were invited into their dance. But the tragedy of our world is that we turn from God into ourselves. We chose to dance alone. Yet the story of the Bible does not end with us finally digging deep and clawing our way back into the dance, but in heaven descending to earth, like Jesus brought the dance down to us. So, when you feel poor, crushed, meek, and you're hungering and thirsting for something that will actually satisfy, Jesus does not tell you to dig down deeper into your bucket and find water that isn't there. Instead, he invites you back into the dance. And the invitation is open. If you're already united to Christ, his spirit is already inside of you. The dance has begun. So, put out your bucket to Jesus and see if he doesn't fill it with the river of delight and love that he has for you. Your suffering might not go away, but at least you'll be swept off your feet and back into the kingdom. And just maybe, when Jesus fills and refills your bucket, maybe your professors, who still might be giving you too much work, it might, maybe they might feel a little less like enemies. Your friends might be people who you can love and enjoy without fear of your bucket running dry. Uh, and your life with Jesus might feel a little less like a burden and a little more like refreshment. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, thank you for your word um, and that your spirit is living and active in your word. Uh, I ask for 
myself and for all of us here that you would fill our buckets um, that we would know your grace and love um, and that we would give up trying to do college and all the responsibilities we have on our own like would you meet us would you be close to us would you be gracious to us Amen.